I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a brief overview real quick of the message series that we've been in. And, um, you know, and just to kind of get us all on the same page and then we'll conclude it today. But um, we've been looking at really why, how do we worship? Why do we worship? So there's how, why, and what it produces in our life, really what it's all about. And, uh, and I know that some of you may say, and I've been saying this almost every week, is that some people may say, well, worship's just not my thing. I really love the word. Well, if you love the word, then you love worship. You're like, yeah, but I don't sing well. That has nothing to do with worship. Worship ain't about your vocal cords. It's about your heart. It's a, it is different. And so, but, you know, and I've shared with you even the idea that the only thing, one of the only things, I, don't, I haven't actually been able to think of anything else, but I'm not going to just say that it's the only. But one of the only things that I'm very confident of that only you can give to God that he doesn't have is your worship. I mean, what else does God not have that he needs or that he would desire? And that's that relationship and, and that, that's that connection. And so the question isn't if we are worshipers. The question is really, is what do we worship? And so John chapter 4 verse 24 tells us that God is looking for people who would worship him in spirit and in truth. So not just out of our flesh, but out of our spirit. We are a three-part being. You're not just a body. You have a body. You possess a body. You possess a car maybe. That doesn't make you a car, does it? No, why? Because the real you sits in the seat. Well, the real you is not the flesh that you see. The real you is your spirit man. That's the, the spirit being the, the most godlike part of you. You have a soul which is comprised of your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires. That's your soul. And we have a body. We have a flesh, right? Well, God desires for us not just to worship out of our flesh. In other words, I can lift my voice and I can even raise my hands. And that doesn't mean that my spirit has looked to the Lord at all. As a matter of fact, uh, Isaiah said this, is that you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God's not after my lip action. He's after my heart action. And so this is important. And so, and I've been sharing this with you over the last few weeks. Is that, and I've said this quite a few times to you, is that this, and it's just a good truth. Is that I believe that if you really knew how good God is and what he's done for you, you couldn't help but worship him. See, the problem is really not that we don't want to worship. Sometimes we just don't fully understand what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes we need to be reminded of our own sin and our own frailty and and really what Jesus came to do. I mean, we celebrate Easter as the day that Jesus came. And that is true. But we need to remember why Jesus came. And he didn't just come from the mass of humanity. He came for me. He came for you. He came for us as individuals. And this is important for us to understand. And so over the last uh, really three weeks, week one, uh, you can check these out online. You can get on Facebook, YouTube, podcasts, all those good places. If you happen to miss one of these. But week one, I share with you how to worship like practically like, what does the Bible tell us to do? Like, things like clapping your hands. Like, we were just clapping a few minutes ago, and you're like, why are we clapping church? Week one, I, I, I'll explain. I even give you scriptures. Why do people raise their hands? Why do people lift up their voices? Because there's instructions in the word of God that tell us to do these things. And so week one was all about that. Week two and week three was about why we worship. Why? Because we have an enemy. And worship is actually a weapon. It's spiritual warfare. And we looked over that over the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to talk and look at who we worship. 
who we worship. Because again, it's not a question of if you worship. The question is, is who and what? Because we are worshipers. And so, um, you know, another way to say this is to say it like, um, is what is your life oriented around? In other words, what's the focus of your day-to-day life? Now, your focus right now is Jesus because you're in church, hopefully. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, but what about tomorrow morning? Like when you go to work, are you focused on work? Now, you ought to be focused on work. You need to do a good job. You need to be a faithful employee. You need to do those things. But why are you there? Like, Jesus, why do you have me in this job? Have you ever asked that question? Lord, of all the places I could, I could be and all the people I could be around, why this group of people, why this location, why this time? Because God has a purpose for you in every season and every moment. And so it's important to ask him why. And so we want to see that our life, that we're not just going through the motions and just kind of making it, surviving. We actually want to bring meaning to every part of our life. And the Bible actually tells us that we can take our entire life. Romans uh, 12, verse 1 and 2 says, take your whole life as an act of worship unto God. That means your parenting, your relationships, your work, your entertainment, like every part of our life. And it's an act of worship unto God. And, and so, you know, it, and so we've been talking about these things. And if you've looked at your calendar or if you're aware, a few people have mentioned it. Today is Palm Sunday. Anybody not know why they call it Palm Sunday, by the way? Well, I'll tell you because a couple people don't know. So, and we're going to look at a scripture here in just a few moments. Is that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, this was the, we call this the Holy Week. This is the start of the Holy Week. It's actually a celebration of a Jewish festival. And so when Jesus came in, they, they actually estimate that there were probably around a million people in Jerusalem at the time. So you think about like, think Washington, D.C. Think of like the mall. You know what I'm talking about? You got the mall in Washington, it's the big water feature, and you got all those people, and when that thing is packed, that's a million people. So a million people had come to Jerusalem at this time for a festival. It's actually called the Passover festival, which Jesus actually, when he went to the cross, came to fulfill that festival. Now, I don't have time to get into it all, but that's why we call him the lamb that was slain. There's imagery in the Old Testament, and that was all pointing to one day that Jesus would come to fulfill everything that that animal was supposed to fulfill, or, or at least be a type and a shadow of it. And so, but, so Palm Sunday, the Bible tells us, we'll look at these verses here in a few moments, that as Jesus came riding in, that people took palm branches and laid them on the road in front of him. My mom's maiden name is actually Palmer. And our, that name actually originates from some of the people who laid those things down. It's kind of an interesting little nugget. I didn't know that for a long time. My mom just told me that not too long ago. And, uh, you know, and so, but that's where it comes from. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And they were doing it as an act of worship to Jesus. And, and so it's important that we understand a lot of these things. But another title that's given to uh, really this moment it's not just Palm Sunday, but really Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. He was riding on a, on a colt, a donkey. And the Bible says that it's a triumphal entry. Why? Because he was the king and he was basically making a public declaration that I am the one who's been waited on. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the promised king. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Because today I have a, a, a funny little anniversary for me and my wife. 20 years ago, today, on Palm Sunday, 
my wife and I had our first kiss. Yeah. And so I tell her that I have dual meaning for triumphal entry. <laughs> right? 20 years ago today, we had our first kiss. And so it's kind of a funny thing that we've always, you know, I was like, Jesus celebrated and was triumphal in his entry into Jerusalem. And I finally got her to kiss me. Praise God. And, uh, you know, and so, um, but, you know, the moment that really is captured here, you can actually find it in several, uh, two passages uh, from the Gospels. If you're not familiar with the Gospels are, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the testament written by four different uh, disciples of Jesus. They are, or say it this way, four different accounts of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives even. Matthew was actually written to the Jews so that they would, because they have certain things that they were looking for and understanding. So he wrote it that way. Mark is like action packed. I mean, it, it's the shortest, but it's like you skip all the genealogy, you get past all the stuff, and like, let's just get to business, right? So if you like action movies, go read the book of Mark. There's not much fluff there. Um, you know, and so each of the, Luke was a physician, and so it was really written um, for the Gentiles and really from, um, his is the most detailed because he was a doctor. And so very detailed. And John really uh, shows us Jesus as a man and how we have a relationship with him. And so all four of the gospels actually reveal a different picture of who Jesus is and how we can actually uh, interact with him and know him. And so, but in Luke chapter 19 and in Matthew 21, we actually have accounts of um, the triumphal entry. And so you can go and read this, but it says that Jesus sent the disciples and says, go find me a donkey to ride, which again, if he's king, kings don't ride on donkeys. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But this moment was actually prophesied about in scripture. It's in the Old Testament that Jesus would ride in on a donkey because typically, culturally speaking, a king would ride in on a horse occasionally, but typically would come in with a lot of pomp and circumstance and they would ride in in a carriage with an entourage of people and yet jesus is showing something very different but he actually was fulfilling uh something that and really it's a prophecy something that god foretold in the old testament and so in zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 it says rejoice o people of zion that's the children of israel he says shout in triumph o people of jerusalem look your king is coming to you says he is righteous and victorious says yet he is humble and he's riding on a donkey riding on a donkey's colt see this is an a pretty intriguing prophecy because as i've just said is that kings are not associated with donkeys i don't know if you've ever uh had much interactions with a donkey anybody anybody ever tried to ride a donkey anybody ever tried to get a donkey to go in a direction or to do anything that you want it to they're rather stubborn and uh, I mean, I, I've been around horses and I've had some interactions of those types. And a donkey's a special animal, not associated with kings, right? Because whatever the king says, he wants to happen right now. And so the people of Israel, though, are looking for a conquering king. They were actually looking for somebody to come in and overthrow the Roman government because they were occupying Israel at that time and they were in charge. And so even this verse, though, the children of Israel didn't understand that hey, God was trying to tell them, hey, it's not going to be like you think it's going to be. Let me say, no, they were looking for a military general, not somebody humble. Not somebody that wasn't putting on a big show or a big scene. And, and, and so... You know, but this is interesting, though, as I was kind of studying about this and reading some things this week, is that a donkey is actually considered a very lowly animal. 
But this is the part that I want you to catch. It's also considered a beast of burden. In other words, and we've seen this, is donkeys are used to move stuff around. Like as stubborn as a donkey can be, if you go to a mountain range, one of the few animals that can actually walk up and down a mountain with a load is a donkey. It's kind of remarkable. But did you know this, that Jesus is actually called our beast of burden? Why? Because he took the burden of our sins. He took the weight and the punishment that was due on us. And the Bible says that it was laid upon him like a donkey, which is kind of interesting. Being a beast of burden. And so really he was meant to what? To take on what we couldn't. And so this is, this is important. And so we even see this idea because if we're not careful, we can actually lose sight of, of who Jesus really is. Now, again, we're talking about who do we worship, and we'll get there in a few moments. But I want to just give you a few verses and some things to lay out here. We were actually seeing some of this this morning. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, actually gives us the understanding of how Jesus would come. The apostle Paul is writing, and it says that he, would, uh, he didn't think of himself as God as being something to hold on to or to cling to. But rather, he says that he took on the form of a servant... He, in other words, he took off his God crown and said, I'm going to come to serve. Other uh, verses tell us that Jesus came to serve, came to serve, not to be served. Now, typical kings come to be served. That's, that's what they're accustomed to. That's what they expect. And yet Jesus did something very different. It goes on to tell us that he was obedient even unto the death of the cross. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying. He says, God, if there is any other way... Let's go that route. But if not, I'll be obedient. And the Bible says because of his obedience, because Jesus fulfilled what God had for him, we're going to pick up in verse 9. It says, because Jesus did all that God had sent him to do, that God has elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. The name of Jesus is supreme. It is different than my name. It is different than your name. It is different than any other name. Why? Because the Bible says that God has given it the highest honor. And it's more than just a, a respect. There's actual power behind the name as well. And so it goes on in this passage of scripture and it says that at the name of Jesus that every knee would bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now when we're talking about this and looking at this part of this is a future event that will happen. There will be a day that the Bible says that all of creation all of humanity will see Jesus and all of creation Past, present, not here yet. We'll look at Jesus and declare that he is the Lord. He is glorified. That he is worthy. And so it's important for us to understand this. You know, in, um, here in Matthew's account of Jesus walking in and coming in on this entry to Jerusalem... Starting in verse 8, it says that most of the crowd spread out their garments on the road of ahead of him, and others cut branches, which is where we get the palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was the center, or was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting. Now, there's a massive crowd. This isn't like a few, like, woo, uh, this is a big deal. 
And it says that, that the crowds were shouting. And it says, praise God for the son of David. That's another prophetic prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Because God told David that the Savior will come through your, your lineage, through your heritage. And so Jesus, that's why they say that he's the son of David. He's from the, the, the root of David, if you will. And it says, so praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord in the highest heavens. Now, this story keeps going here. And the Pharisees, the religious um, elite, if you will, they actually came to Jesus. Hey, pipe down. Tell them to be quiet. They're too loud. They're disturbing the peace. Like, Jesus, get a grip on your people. Like, there's people everywhere, and y'all are creating a commotion. And Jesus makes one of the most interesting statements. Says, if they don't cry out, the rocks themselves will begin to worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I don't want a rock taking my place. And Jesus says in this moment, it was so important that that Jesus said that, hey, even if they don't, the noise ain't going away. Even creation, the Bible tells us this in, in Psalms, it says that all of creation worships the Lord. Well, we're part of that creation. That's why I say we were created for worship. Say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. He wants you to know him so that you'll worship him. Because if you know him, you're going to worship him. That's what I said earlier. If you knew how good God is, and if you really understood what he's done for you, worship's easy. Why? Because it comes from a place of gratitude and thankfulness. And and we can lose sight of it. Sometimes we have to remember ourselves of how we can be without Jesus. I'm a mess with Jesus. I don't want to know what I'm like without Jesus, okay? My wife ain't in here, but she would amen that. And, uh, you know, but but truthfully, we need to remind ourselves. Why? Because we need to, in in that verse in Philippians, it actually tells us in the preceding verse, verse, verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you as it was in Christ, who came in the form of a servant. In other words, hey, stay humble. You know, we have a phrase, remember where you came from? We need to remember that sometimes about, hey, where did Jesus find me? And what does Jesus save me from? And let me just help you. The greatest thing that Jesus saves you from is you. It's not from circumstances. It's not from sin. It's from you. It's from me. That's the greatest thing is that now what? Because I don't live for myself anymore. My life is oriented around Jesus, so he saves me from myself, of a life of selfishness and just focus on me and what do I need and what do I want. See, the truth is, and this is just a fact, I'm going to give you two points today, two focuses of, of who we worship, but even, it's a little bit practical as well, is that worship is for celebration. Is that we ought to celebrate We ought to lift up our voices and we ought to get excited like when we see people get baptized. Why? Because that's people going public with their faith saying, hey, what happened privately, I'm letting you know about publicly. And we ought to celebrate those moments. And and there's something to be said about lifting up our voice and maybe even getting a little excited in church. The Bible tells us in Psalms 95 verse 1 and 2, it says, come, let us sing to the Lord. So let us go to sing. It says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come to him with thanksgiving and let us sing psalms of praise unto him. Now leave that verse up there for a minute. Is there any doubt here where our worship is to be directed? Now think about this. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing songs of praise to him. There's four lines in four directions. And they all point the same place. Is it, and it's giving us these instructions here. Psalms 100. I'm going to read you five verses here. Verses 1 through 5. Now if you notice it didn't say come quietly. By the way. It says sing. Shout. Sing again. And here it says. In verse 1 of Psalms 100. It says shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. It says worship the Lord with gladness. That's with a happy heart. The Bible talks about in Proverbs having a merry heart. Sometimes you got to choose some happiness. You got to choose joy. You know, you have the ability to choose joy. Remember earlier when I told you that you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Joy is actually already on the inside of you. The problem is, is that we want to identify with our flesh and our circumstances and our soul. But even in the midst of turmoil, I can choose joy. But it's a decision. I'm not saying it's easy. But you can change it like a light switch. If you'll choose it. I believe if we'd worship the Lord with gladness. I think it would just. If nothing else you'd look happy. You'd look better. Put a smile on your face. Like what are you glad about? That I'm not going to hell. That I've been redeemed from the pit. That I'm not left to myself. That man I've got a reason to be thankful. And I've got a reason to be happy. And I've got a reason to celebrate. Because the other side, if I don't do it, some rock may take my place. And I don't want to go stand before the Lord and him go like, really? So it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. It says, acknowledge the Lord is God. One of the reasons that we worship is to acknowledge him. Is that God, you alone are God. I am not nothing else. You are God. You are the ultimate thing in my life. And my life is going to orient, revolve around you. And so I want to acknowledge you in my worship. He has made us and we are his. Here's another reason why we worship. We are his people. Before Jesus, you may have belonged to a natural family, but you were looking for belonging. Every one of us wants to belong. We are, I mean, God has built us that way. We're built to connect. And yet here it says that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Like sheep of his pasture, what does that mean? Go read Psalms 23. I am the good shepherd and I will provide all that you need. You shall not lack anything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. And it doesn't mean that we don't face problems even in Psalms 23 that we go, if you go read verse five, I will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. If you got enemies, you got some problems. But yet God says, I'm going to prepare a table. I'm going to let you eat right in front of them. Like you ain't even stressed about it. Why? Because I know I got a good shepherd. Because I know the one that I worship. And the circumstances may not be pleasant, but it doesn't change who God is. And it's not going to steal my joy. And I'm going to stay focused on what God is doing in me and for me. Why? Because I am his and he's going to take care of me. And he's watching over me. 
It goes on, it says that we're to enter his courts with thanksgiving. In other words, let me just help you here. Even in prayer, because you know prayer is actually a form of worship. Before you ask God for anything, just thank him for something. That's just a good practice. That's a good rule of thumb. God, before I come to you with what's on my mind, let me just say thank you. Let me just worship you for a moment because you're worthy. Because if you never did anything for me beyond the cross, you've done everything for me. And yet God is good and God is faithful. And so there are all kinds of blessings and benefits that come that we get to live in now, even this side of the cross. Like I'd say it this way. I don't have to wait to heaven to figure out my salvation or to even enjoy it. I don't have to deal with the guilt and the shame of my past. Why? Because Jesus paid for it. And this should be cause for me to worship. Look, we all mess up. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus had to come and he was that that perfect lamb. So it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Now, these terminologies may be a little different to you. But you're like, what's the difference between praise and worship? I'm going to make it real simple. One of them's got a beat that you tap your foot to and clap your hands to. It's a little bit more happy. In, but worship's more intimate. And a lot of times we're celebrating what God has done. There's actually, let me say, let me say it another way. Is there is a method to the madness of how we do church. It's actually biblical. We come into his courts with praise. Why? Because it directs our attention to him. We start with that. Why? Because it's, it's actually the instructions of scripture. Then we can move into a time of worship. Why? Because it's hard to worship until you're actually looking at him. It helps us focus, helps bring our attention. And, And so it continues here and it says, Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. See, we celebrate what God has already done in our heart. You may say, man, I haven't done, you know, I don't see God working in my life. Rewind a little bit and remember what God has already done. Because his past nature and his past character actually tells me what he will do in the future. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God himself declared, I am the Lord and I change not. If I was faithful to you in the past, I'm going to be faithful to you again. If I took care of you in the past, I'm going to take care of you into the future. Like, yeah, but what about all this stuff that's happening in the world? I don't think God woke up this morning and went and Googled what's on the news today. Here's what he knows. I'm the God of the universe and everything in it. And my plans will prosper and they will come to pass. And everything that I said was going to happen, it's going to happen exactly like I said it is. Like, he don't even give it a second thought. Like, it, it, it might as well already be done in his mind. But yet here, we can celebrate that, that he is the God of our salvation. And we kind of throw that word around sometimes, but it, it has many meanings to it. Number one, it means that deliverance. Like, deliverance from what? Everything that the enemy has intended to harm you and to bring damage and pain into your life. The effects of sin deliverance like power over all of your shortcomings like you don't have to be defined by those things any longer the bible says that we have a new identity in christ and so we have deliverance it also includes healing physical mental emotional 
The, the, the scriptures are full of promises of God to heal us in every part of our, of our being. There's not a wound too deep that Jesus cannot heal. There's not one too old that he cannot redeem. And sometimes we can think, well, I, I've had this for so long and this is just part of it. And it really becomes part of our identity. And Jesus says, I paid for that. I want to heal that part of you. I want to restore that part of you. It doesn't mean that, that the past is just automatically gone. Like you're still going to have the memory, but the pain of that memory doesn't have to exist. Why? Because we trust in the Lord. So our salvation is deliverance, it's healing, but there's also belonging. There's this relationship. It's not just, hey, I go to church. It's, man, I'm connected to, the, to, to my creator. I'm connected to God. And there's this relationship. And so we celebrate because we're confident of what he will do and what he has done, but what he is doing and what he will do. I'm not, I don't just have to look to the past to, to celebrate the cross, although we can. I mean, that's the, that's the starting line of our walk with the Lord, is that Jesus paid the price that I could never pay for me. Jesus paid the price for you that you could never pay for you. So that what? He bridged the gap between us and God. He brought us back into relationship so that I could know him personally, that you could know him personally. There's no distance between us any longer. So we can celebrate those things. But here's a, so I, I, my first point was this, is that worship is for celebration and we should celebrate. But the next one is this, is that worship is for connection. Worship is not a one-way street. We can think, well, I'm just singing to the Lord. Like, is God on an ego trip? Like, does he just need me to sing to him? Like, that's kind of weird, but no, it's a, it's a two-way street. Because what happens when I begin to worship God, my spirit, man, begins to open up to the spirit of God. And, and that's actually what real worship is. Real true worship is the moment that my spirit connects to the spirit of God. That's when real worship happens. And here's the thing. There's an exchange that happens. That when I worship God and I begin to really seek the Lord and I begin to open up who I am, you're like, well, how do I do that? With your mouth, with your words. You can celebrate the Lord, but, but ultimately it's not about the outward, although you can, and that's welcome to be done. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it'd be a little weird. I got to be honest. If we just came to church and everybody just, and just sang a few songs real quietly. And then we sat down. It wouldn't be very fun. That doesn't sound very happy to me. I mean, you know, and so we go to a, a sporting event and we clap and we yell. I was at my son's baseball game this week and I'm yelling at people. I'm like, this is why I can't be a coach. Like, this is it. I'm yelling at the referees, you know. I'm like, yeah, I'd get kicked out the game. If I'm borderline back here on the bleacher, you know. And, uh, but we don't have any problem. We don't think anything about it in that setting. But, yeah, we come to church and it's like, oh, I wouldn't want to be irreverent. So you're more reverent at a baseball game, football game, because you raise your voice and you clap and you cheer and you dance around, paint your body all kind of weird colors. And But I can't worship Jesus who paid for my eternity, who paid the price of my sins. But see, what happens in worship, when, when our spirit connects with, with God, something happens in our hearts. And it's that the reality of who Jesus is really gets confirmed. It's, it's not head knowledge. It's something deeper, way deeper. And I can actually experience the presence of God. Jesus told a crowd one day, he said, hey, if you're thirsty, if you're tired, if you're weary, come to me and drink. 
Well, how do you do that? It's through worship. See, there's a connection that happens when we really step over into worship. And here's the thing that I, that I have seen and I, and I know to be, I've seen it happen way too many times. Not just in my own life, but also in many others. Many of you would attest to this. Is that when I connect to God, something good always happens. I've never walked away from connecting with God in worship where I thought, that was weak. Now I've had that thought where I've been in worship times and I thought, that wasn't that good. What I have found is it actually is, I'm the one who determines that. Look, I've been in, in services with just incredible musicians, incredible singers, and not felt an ounce of the presence of God. At all. It was impressive. It was a good concert. It was very well polished, but the presence of God was not there. On the other side of it, I've been in multiple environments where somebody's either just kind of plucking away at the piano that can barely play, can barely sing, or somebody's fumbling around on the guitar, but yet the presence of God shows up. So it's not necessary. So let me say it this way worship is not dependent on the talent in the room, on the platform, or the audience. But this is what happens. Man, when we worship, there is a connection. And that connection stirs up things in me. There's been times where, and I can't even put it fully into words, but where I, I, I know walking away that something shifted in me. God did something in me in that moment. And, I'm, and sometimes I know in times, in, maybe in retrospect, you know, hindsight 2020 kind of thing, I can look back and be like, in that moment, this is what God did. I can remember one specific time. It took five months me and Dara were talking about it, and she was like, Lord, do something. I was like, oh, yeah, I did. He did, man. I, what was it? I don't know. It took me five months. And then one day it just it dawned on me. And it was like, that's what happened. That's what it was. And it was just things in my past and, and, and hurts of past. And, and it was like, man, God just came in. And was all, The best way I know how to say it is it was like a surgeon came in and just cut something out and took it out. And all I knew was that something was different, but I didn't know what. That happens in worship. There's pain, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's things of our that are. In, and you say, well, why would God do that? Because it's hindering our connection with him. And he says, hey, this is a roadblock, and I got to get this out of the way so that you can experience all that I have for you. See, again, if you knew how good God was and how much he loves you and how much he wants to do in your life. See, salvation didn't just stop on the cross. There is present realities to this. Like God is working. That this, I mean, the Bible actually says that the same power that flowed from the cross is still effective and still working in us to this day. And so this is important to know. See, I believe that it's in moments where we encounter the presence of God that we actually become marked by God. Let me say another. It's a defining moment. I have multiple defining moments in my walk with the Lord where I can look back on and say, in that moment, God showed up. And something shifted in me and something changed. And many times it's really connected to my worship. Not my lips, my worship. It's different. So we worship Jesus for who he is, of course. He is Savior. He, he is Lord. He is Messiah. Just like those who were there that day when Jesus came riding on the donkey. They were celebrating and worshiping him. I shared this I'm going to recap a few things here in the next few minutes from the last couple of weeks. But we have to move from just um, 
relationship with Jesus into real fellowship with Jesus. And they're different. I, I, I don't remember if it was last week or week before last off the top of my head, but I share with you the idea that you have family members that you're not that close to. You have a relationship with them. It could be a brother, sister, could be an, um, a cousin, something like that. But you have friends that you're super close with. Let me say no. You may not have the title with that friend, but you got fellowship with that friend. And that friend is more important to you than maybe even some of your family members. Well, what's the difference? The fellowship. The camaraderie, that, that doing life together, right? Well, we can... We can actually serve the Lord from a distance and just keep him at an arm's length and just say, hey, I just want to go to heaven. I just want to go. Yeah, but you don't realize what you're forfeiting by just keeping him at a distance. So many times we're like, oh, I'm, I'm a, you know, like I'm supposed to fear the Lord. I'm supposed to keep him away. The biblical definition and picture of fear is actually the opposite. Because I fear the Lord, I want to be super close to him. I don't want to run away from him. It's not I'm afraid of him. It's like, no, I want to be as close as I possibly can. And so we want to remove kind of the formal titles, if you will. Now, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, the Bible says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Like, not saying to be casual, but I'm also, but what I am saying is, don't be so formal that you remove the life out of it. Just become ritualistic about it. And there's no relationship, there's no fellowship there. So I shared this with you in week one. I'm going to share it with you again today. Is how do we, how to, how do we worship? A couple of things that you can do. Number one is you start with opening your mouth, or opening your heart. You got to focus your attention. You got to lift your voice to the Lord. Like these are just practical things. Like, well, I don't know how to do that. That sounds awesome. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The Bible says that he will lead you and guide you into all truth and to all godliness. You don't have to know how to worship to start worshiping. But you have to what? Be open, be receptive. Think about in your car, unless you turn the radio on, you don't get to enjoy the music, right? Well, if you want to enjoy worship, you've got to open up your heart. That means you just got to be open and say, Lord, I invite you in. That's how you open your heart. God, I, I'm inviting you into my good, into my bad, into my I don't want nobody else to know about. I'm inviting you into all of that. I'm inviting you into all that that I don't want to talk about. I'm inviting you into that moment and I'm going to focus on you and I'm going to declare who you are and I'm going to celebrate you and I'm going to lift up my voice. You're like, yeah, but I don't feel like it. That's the best time to worship. That's the best time to worship. Everything in me doesn't want to do this. You need to remind your flesh often who's in charge. Soul, shut up. Quiet down. Your thoughts. Going haywire. We did a series for six weeks back in February into March about your mental headspace. And again, how, how do you quiet your mind down? You get into real worship. And then your focus begins to shift and things. And what happens is, is that God becomes greater and our circumstances come back to reality. I, I won't get the quote exactly right. I didn't look it up, but there's a famous quote from um, Mark Twain. And it says, I've experienced many terrible things in my life, some of which have actually come true. Because we, we build things up right here all the time. 
And we run through scenarios and we, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. Like I had an incident this week. I won't go into all the details, but I had an incident this week that happened. I lost sleep over it. This is no joke. Like every hour I was waking up thinking about it all night long. I was like, man, I don't want to make this phone call. Because I'm getting ready to just get an earful on something. Really wasn't my fault, but I'm a human being too. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a bad phone call. This is going to ruin my day. And I really, I mean, all night long, it's just rolling. Just made the phone call. No big deal. And I lost sleep for what? I mean, I was tired. I was worried all night. What I should have done was just said, you know what, God, you got this. I'm going to sleep. But unfortunately, I'm here telling you to do this. And yet I didn't put it into action this week. So I'm just being honest with you. And I lost sleep and I was exhausted all day that day because of something that wasn't even a big deal. Why? Because I wasn't able to, and I, partly because I was tired and then I get that and I'm like, I'm thinking about it, right? Trying to figure it out. And yet when I worship, it, it does bring focus. It brings clarity. All of a sudden those problems get put back into their proper perspective. So what happens when we actually worship, when our spirit connects to God? This is again from week one. Is that it draws us close to the Father It refreshes our souls. It stirs up our faith. These are the the effects of worship that happen. Again, we're not running from God. Worship brings us close to God. Let me say it another way. Let me just help you. You have nothing to be afraid of. Not one thing. You're like, yeah, but what about? Doesn't matter. You have nothing to be afraid of to come to the Lord. Jesus has taken care of everything for us. Jesus opened the doors wide open for us to come into. The Bible tells us the very presence of God so that we can experience it and enjoy it. It's for our blessing. It's for our benefit. As I'm wrapping up this morning, I want to share just a couple verses with you here out of the book of Revelations. Now, there's a lot of imagery in the book of Revelations. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a pre-warning here. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know. We don't have all the answers, but I want you to see some things because this is all prophetic. In other words, in the future, this is, I mean, the Bible says that God has already told us the end from the beginning. So God already knows how this whole world existence plays out. And in Revelations, it gives us a little picture. Now, this is after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. So if you want to say it this way, it's post-Easter. Jesus is in heaven, and yet it gives us a picture of what, it, what what's happening in heaven. In Revelations 5, starting in verse 5, it says, Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, I know there's a lot of imagery in the scriptures, and it talks about Jesus as a lamb. The lamb has already come. The first time he showed up, he came as a lamb, mild and meek. The second time, which is what the Jews are still looking for, He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says he's not coming back on a donkey. He's actually coming back on a white horse. And he's coming back with a shout and a blast of a trumpet. And angels will accompany him when he comes. He's not going to be quiet again. And he's coming back for what? For his people. For those that he has purchased with his blood, with his body, with his sacrifice. And it says that, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. 
Now here's what's important about this, and it's why I've highlighted that word, won the victory. That Jesus' victory over all that he suffered, the death that he experienced, the separation from God that he experienced, the resurrection from the dead that he experienced. The Bible says he is the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, he was first and a lot more coming after him. We are those lot more coming after him. But Jesus' victory is actually our victory. Jesus' resurrection is actually our resurrection. His life is now our life. And so when he says here is that um, the line of the tribe of Judah, the, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. That's not some random far off victory. That's a victory that, I, that we share, that we get to experience. And it says that he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. It says, then I saw the lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. Do you know that Jesus still has the scars that paid the price of our sins? Now they're beautiful and they're redeemed. But he still has the markings of the beatings and the nails. And he still, he has a glorified body, but he still has the signs of it. And it says here that the lamb looked as one that had been slaughtered. It says, but now it is standing between the throne and the four living beings and the 24 elders. In verse 7, it says that he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the living beings and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each one with a harp. And they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. That you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seal and to open it. You are worthy. Because the question before this is, who's worthy to open this? Now, this is a a, a future event. We're not there yet. But they're saying, hey, there's nobody worthy but one. Only one is worthy to open up this scroll and to unwrap. And, and, And look, I'm leaving so much out. But I want you to see the response that happens. And it says that Jesus steps up. He takes the scroll and begins to open it up. And it says that they begin to sing a new song. And they said that you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seal and to open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed uh, people for God from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. Why does Jesus have a name above every other name? Why is Jesus the one who is the one who can open up the the scroll and, and break the seal? Why? Because he alone is worthy. And that's why he is deserving of our worship and no one else. Because why? He did for me and he did for you that which only he could do. No one else could do what Jesus has done for you. No one. And that's why he's worthy of our worship. And let me just help you here. If you don't like worship, you're probably not going to enjoy heaven. Because there's going to be a lot of worshiping happen. So I would encourage you, learn how to worship now. Because you can join in on the party. I would hate to get to heaven and be like, I don't know how to do this. Can I go get, it's like when you go to college, you got to take like remedial classes. You're like, oh, I got to go take this class. Like, no, Jesus is worthy. Of our worship. Because he alone is savior. He alone. He alone. No one else but Jesus. He was perfection so that I don't have to be. 
He was sacrificed so that I don't have to be. He was separated from God so that I don't have to be. And the same thing is true for you. And so this morning as as we're kind of coming to the close of service, I would encourage you. It doesn't matter what you're, what's going on. The cross still speaks of the power and the presence of Jesus today. And it doesn't matter what you may be here for this morning or what you may need this morning or what you may be lacking this morning. I'm telling you, is that Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is the answer and that's why we worship him. And, and so I want to invite our prayer team to come up front. We're going to step back up.